You're listening to the Yoga Magic Podcast with host Ashley Sondergaard. Do you remember that first time you took a yoga class? Lying in Shavasana thinking, what is this magic? For me, yoga opened the door to a life full of self-discovery and self-care. This show shines a light on what is possible when you invest in your well-being. And not only for you, but for everyone around you. I interview women in the space of healing, spirituality, beauty, wellness, and of course, yoga. This community of listeners is excited to expand their minds, open new doors, be honest, and sometimes take a big old handstand fall on the way. My hope is that this show gives you a library of accessible new practices that fill up your soul and open your mind. Not all will be perfect for you, but that's the best part. Trying it on and finding your personal favorites. This is Yoga Magic. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to the Yoga Magic Podcast, friends. I'm your host, Ashley Sondergaard. I'm so grateful to have you here, everyone. On Yoga Magic, we talk about so many different ways to do self-study, to invest in your own self-care. Last week, we were talking books. This week, we're talking parenting. And I know a lot of you listeners are parents, and so I hope this conversation really resonates with you. I also know that a lot of you are not yet parents, but are thinking about that journey in the future. And this episode, everyone, is also very much for you as well, because friends, contrary to what perhaps some of your family, friends, or older siblings, or Instagram has told you, parenting can be really fun. Yes, it is hard. But it is so amazing. And when you have just a few tools to help guide you, to help you bring that joy back, that fun back, your life can really change. And I have to admit, everybody, when I was young, you know, I thought parenting looked so miserable. (laughs) Like, wait, you have to give up your life and all your hobbies and everything you enjoy for this little person? That sucks. I don't want to do that. But I was so wrong. Parenting has brought me more joy and purpose than I could have ever imagined, but this has not happened on its own. You know, that joy, that purpose, it has taken a lot of extra work, therapy, self-care, self-discovery, and I'm still really working on it. And today we're talking very specifically about things that we can do as parents to help shape our children's behaviors and make family life that much more fun again literally fun, bring that purpose, that joy back. This whole episode might just be a case for prioritizing your own well-being. We talk about that so much, that self-care for yourself, creating a rhythm for your own life so that you can be calm and mirror that back to your children. So if you are somebody who has struggled with mom guilt in the past, you feel guilty for resting or taking time for yourself, this episode will convince you otherwise because how you show up immediately impacts how your children show up as well. And Samantha, our guest today, talks about this. And this is not just woo, everybody. This isn't just me talking manifestation. This is psychology, right? Mirror neurons. Let me introduce this amazing guest. Samantha Moe is a certified parent coach and speaker, and she has coached parents on how to help their children stay calm, connected, and cooperative since 2004. She's the creator of the Mad to Glad Blueprint, a revolutionary brain and nervous system-based approach to positive communication and parenting that works to soothe and even preempt intense kids' most challenging behaviors. Some big takeaways from this conversation that I just want to plant in your brain before we even start talking. Number one, if you're going to say yes to parenting and to a truly enjoyable, present family life, what are you going to say no to? 
This is also true of self-care, right? We talk about this as well as it relates to your own self-care. If you're going to say yes to a regular practice of prioritizing yourself, what are you going to say no to? Maybe it's saying no to that extra, like extra clean house, that extra tidying of the house that you like to do regularly. Maybe it's saying no to scrolling on your phone. Maybe it's saying no to watching TV. Maybe it's saying no to those things that you do really enjoy, but you know that this isn't the stage of life where you get to do them quite as much. Does that mean that your life isn't as joyful? No, it just means that you're shifting Priority. So I want you to start thinking about that. And then secondly, I asked Samantha a really tough question around mental health, the mental health of our children. We see more and more studies showing that the mental health of high school students, college-age children is deteriorating. And it had me asking, what can we do to support the mental health of our children from a very young age? And I'll spoil Samantha's answers for you because it's so good and we'll come back to it. Number one, it's social belonging. It's being a part of something, being a part of a family where you feel like you have a role. You feel like you truly belong in. And we can do that as parents. We can help our children feel like they belong. Number two, it's nervous system regulation. We talk about modalities like chiropractic care, CST, occupational therapy, but also meditation, breathing exercises, yoga, so many ways to help regulate that nervous system. And then three, it's slowing down. It's giving our children permission to rest, showing them what it feels like to take breaks, modeling that behavior for them, showing them what it looks like when you slow down. There are so many helpful tips in this episode. Samantha is so full of knowledge. If you find this to be helpful and you'd like to dive in further, check out her course, The Mad to Glad Blueprint. There is a link in the show notes to get that self-guided course. And if you'd like to join me this spring for the live cohort, we're gonna be breaking these lessons down in a group setting. We're gonna work through parenting challenges and it starts in May. You can find that link in the show notes. I'll be joining you as well, talking about our kiddos, making our life that much better. Okay, as always, I'm so grateful for your ears, your support. This is helpful content. I sincerely ask that you leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It makes the world of difference, everyone. And if you want to follow along on Instagram, you can find us at Yoga Magic Podcast. Let's get to so many ways to make parenting fun again with parent coach Samantha Mo. Welcome, Samantha. I'm so excited to be talking to you in this capacity. We've the chance to work together a lot, so I get to see your face, but I get to interview you, and I'm so excited. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Ashley. Happy to be here. So can you tell listeners, from your perspective, what is the work that you do? Because it is so amazing, so helpful. I'm so glad we were connected, but I always love people to say, what, do you, you know, what is the work that you do? Yeah. You know, I think about this all the time because my program is called the Mad to Glad Blueprint. And so I look at my roots of upbringing. I was raised in a family with seven people and I had a dad who was a very like authoritarian style parent, which meant like, I'm going to call the shots. All of my five children are going to obey me. That's how things are going to roll at our house. But the problem with authoritarian parenting is that if a parent is being controlling, then it can take, pull the rug out from the child to have a sense of self-control and autonomy and groundedness inside of themselves. So when I think about my own journey of overcoming childhood or (laughs) growing into an adult and a mother myself, I, I know that there have been moments where I've looked back at childhood and I've recognized the anxiety I had as a teenager. I would um, black out before high school and got diagnosed with a social anxiety disorder, which like not an issue anymore. I'm a, I'm a national speaker. I've done keynotes. Um, I speak on a, on a public stage all the time. 
So I look at like that anxiety and overcoming it and some of the anger that I had inside, but only got in touch with when I got pregnant. Like I didn't really get in touch with that anger earlier than my 30s. And so my program is called Mad to Glad. Like how do we shift the experience for children and for parents from mad to glad? And that's really the work that I do. Like if you want to enjoy parenting instead of feeling exhausted, I like to give people a plan on how to make parenting better. Hmm. I resonate with this so much and I like feel really relieved that you, that you say that shift started when you were pregnant. That was, that was my experience too. Like I didn't want kids. I talk about this on the show all the time. I did not want kids. I was so adamant that like, we're never having children. And I was so afraid of having kids because I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but like, it was, it was just so fear-based until I started, you know, I actually like made the decision to have kids. That's when my life I truly got so much better and I'm so happy that I like overcame that fear and that doesn't make it any less hard. It's still very challenging. I would love for you to talk about what it feels like or what it looks like even to have a parenting relationship, to have a role as a parent that feels really enjoyable. Like you talk about what does it look like on the other side to enjoy this experience? Yeah. Well, I mean, if we're looking at modern life, regular modern life, one of my clients once said, um, my life is so that I get up at 5.30 a.m. so that I can work out on the treadmill in the basement for half an hour so that I can get my six kids up at 6 a.m. so that I can get them all like fed and ready for school and on the bus so that I can do errands and appointments and paperwork so that I can prepare a snack and myself for them to come home in the afternoon, so that I can be with them during snack, help them through homework, make dinner, help them through the bedtime routine at nine o'clock so that I can drop into bed exhausted at 930 so that I can repeat it again the next day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we're really living in this culture of let me get all the tasks done so that after that list is done, now I can, I'm drawing my flow chart with my hands here. (laughs) If I'm going from being a parent in modern life and I'm looking at these tasks and trying to get these done and saying like, and then when I'm done, I'll go to this task down here, which is the connection or the attachment or the bonding with my child. Parenting is going to feel really not enjoyable because there are too many things going on. And so some of what's influenced the work that I do and the way that I live my life as a parent is uh, a book called Simplicity Parenting. Mm -hmm. How do I do less? And this comes from the life coaching field as well, this like similar theme of if you want to say yes to something, like if you want to say yes to enjoying parenting and enjoying family life, what are you going to say no to? Mm -hmm. And so my husband and I really live our lives by that. We know that we love leadership. Both of us are entrepreneurs. We know that we love nature and we know that we love crunchy things. And you don't usually see like like crunchy granola. Um, we don't have a television at home. We leave our ringer off in the afternoon, in the evening when we're with when we're with our kiddo. Uh, I make a lot of whole food, so you don't always see like entrepreneur. This lady's a public speaker, and they do sugar cleanses twice a year. And I just did a <laughs> liver cleanse, and my kid is two and a half, and he's had sugar three times, which. I can do that because I only have one kid. It's much harder when you have more than one. We get that. We get that. (laughs) I'm jealous. (laughs) (laughs) But we set our values and then we say, so what do we say no to? Um, I say no to um, seeing clients after 5 p.m. Central Time. I say no to certain events that don't fit my family schedule. When my kid was under the age of two, 
um, I said no to leaving him with family members who wanted to babysit because he was really sensitive and he felt scared and he needed a quiet environment. And, and so I know what my values are. I know that feeling happy and feeling healthy and spending special time in family is really important to myself and my husband. And so we create that space and there's a lot of, there's a lot of missing out on other things. I don't do the mm-hmm. four o'clock happy hour networking with women business owners or some of these groups that I'm in because um, I want to go home and play with my toddler. Mm-hmm. And you said it right there. I want to go home and be with my child, right? Like that's what you want to do. And sometimes, you know, for another person, I'll say like the things that I want to do. I want to collapse on the couch at the end of the day and I want to read for like an hour or two. Like that is such a luxurious thing I want to do. And by making some of the choices to say no to things during the day. I'm able to do that in connection with being there with my kids for the, you know, the evening routine, like knowing what you want to do and being able to prioritize that makes this that much more enjoyable. And I think it is, it's tough sometimes to figure out like where to give and take, right? Like when you work with clients, especially with children that are that require a lot of energy, which I mean, all kids do, right? Like, let's be honest. Some require a little less, but yes, I get what you're saying. You have spirited children, so they- Spirited, (laughs) yeah. And and I have three, right? Like, how do we make that decision about what we want or like where we say yes and no? And, you know, I guess that's like, it's a little bit of a out there question, but like, I, I still struggle with this. Like, where do I say no? Yeah. Yeah, I get that. And- you know, I was just thinking about how I work three days a week and my work days are seven hours on a good day. Cause there's commute time with, you know, the nannies at the house and mm-hmm. I lose half an hour of getting to work and coming back from work. I don't lose it. I get to listen to stuff in the car, but you know, it's not like eight hours of time on my computer. It's very clearly seven hours. And so I think about how, when I'm done with my work day. I'm like, oh, I'm teaching this class starting in May. And I'm so excited to talk about things like the power of a mother and like this, this emotional stuff that I want to journal on and send out email newsletters and interview other cool people. And there are times where it's just like, yeah, I have this ambition. And at the end of the workday, I feel really excited to keep working. But I don't. I go home and I relieve the nanny and then I focus on my kiddo. And there are certainly days where I'm in that gray space of transition and like, oh, I'm thinking about this and I'm not as present because I like that ambition part of me wants Mm -hmm. to really come to fruition. Mm -hmm. And I just recognize it like, okay, yeah, you want to accomplish more. So every once in a while, like I might add in a Saturday, take away from family day uh, in order to do some more writing or in order to do some more speaking. But that's a couple of times a year. And I'm just aware that, that, that wrestling occurs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It ebbs and flows a little. Yeah. Yeah. It's not always so black and white. Like you said, it's gray at times. Mm -hmm. That feels good. I agree. And being, you know, being ambitious, you actually told me one time that when children see their parents strive, it's one of the, I don't know exactly what the quote was, but like, that's one of the best things that we can do for them is to strive, to be working at something. And when you have that ambition to be quote unquote succeeding in life and and reaching for goals, they see that and they get excited about that. Just like us. What was, what was it that you actually said? Like around the striving? Yeah, it was, um, there was a study that said 
kids don't need parents to be perfect. They need to see them striving to do better. Mm-hmm. And it's the striving that helps children realize like, oh, there's, there's longing and there's desire and there's mistakes and it's not all hunky-dory that there can be murky areas where you feel unhappy. Like, yeah, perfectionism isn't a thing, but seeing parents strive in, um, in a lot of families. And I don't remember if you and I talked about this specific, you and I didn't actually, because in a lot of families, it's striving to remain calm and to know that you and John really practice staying calm. So it's like if parents are used to losing it and they're feeling really at the end of their rope, if kids see them striving to repair, they see them striving to breathe and to do better, that's what they need, not parents to just be perfect. Because mm-hmm. we're not even we're not close. Like that's the beauty of it all. Okay, actually, this leads me to my next question. You know, this idea of remaining calm and mirroring to our children what we want to see back from them is something that I've learned from you. And like, I know this stuff. I talk manifestation all the time on this show, teach yoga. It's like all of this is like part of the conversation. And yet in practice, was I applying that to my life with my children? The fact that like what I output, they also receive from me? Not really. Like I wasn't really realizing how much that played into our family dynamic. So we learned, we worked through, okay, you know, mirror mirror neurons. Like how can I show up in the way that I want to so that they can absorb that? Can you talk a little bit about how that works with parents and like even what it is? Like I'm describing mirror neurons, but you're better at putting it together. Yeah, I'm happy to. Thank you. I think you did had a good start there. So in the in my work, you know obviously that I created the Mad to Glad blueprint, which are eight brain-based parenting tools that have been synthesized from multiple sources. Um, like what is happening in, ch- in, in a child's brain causing them to act out? So beneath any challenging behavior, whether you have a spirited child who's really stubborn or, you know, if you escalate that, it's like obstinate, refusals, meltdowns. <laughs> or if you have a child, like my background is um, autism. I'm, I was originally a speech language pathologist and autism specialist when I got my master's in 2004. And what I saw on a day-to-day basis when it was my job to transition kids into my office and work on friendship skills and eye contact so that, you know, they had somebody to hang out with on the playground and they could communicate and talk through things rather than acting through these big feelings. What I learned right away is that if we don't understand what's happening underneath these big tantrums and meltdowns, you know, whether it's a kid with autism or a child who's spirited and more emotionally intense, Like we need to know that it is their downstairs brain that's overactive in any moment of defiance or resistance or controlling behavior where it feels like they might be manipulating you or just trying to win and get their way. Mm -hmm. And this downstairs brain was really, the science really came to light uh, with Dr. Daniel Siegel out of UCLA, who's the leading neuroscientist in child development. And he helped everybody in the field understand that fight or flight is running the show in the moment of a tantrum. So if we're talking about kids, then fight, flight, or freeze, which is your primitive early developing part of the brain responsible for um, keeping you safe if a bear is chasing you through the woods, you either go into fight, so we see kids with challenging behaviors, you go into, uh, yeah, fight, flight, which is like run away, or freeze, like I'm standing here and I don't know what to do at all. Mm. Adrenaline and cortisol flood the brain when fight or flight is overactive or when this downstairs brain is activated. And so kids who tend to have really big emotions, emotional storms and meltdowns, they have an overactive fight or flight stress system. And the reason this is so essential to know is because as parents, we parent from the upstairs. This is our prefrontal cortex. This is 
are managing behaviors and problem solving and paying attention. So when my two and a half year old says, no, I don't want to brush my teeth. No, I don't care about reading books. You know, um, if I say something from the upstairs adult brain, that's problem solving. Like, hey, but I got you, I got you a new book and it's going to be so fun. And there's a bunny in it. I know you love bunnies. Oh, what could you do rather than saying no, mommy and pulling on me? You're like, hey, look at me, bud. Hey, look at me. Yeah, I do that. If I try to do any of those things during the moment of the tantrum or the emotional upset, those are upstairs brain. It's the wrong connection strategy because his brain, I call this downstairs brain when it's overactive, he has fire in his brain. So instead of like trying to persuade him or gently guide him, I mean, like we want to be gentle and compassionate with our kids, but we got to take a step back and say, oh, fire in the brain. Mm -hmm. Well, if there's a bonfire, what do we do if we want to go out? We pour water on it. So if a child is having an emotional storm, what we want to do as parents is we want to model to them what calm looks like because they can't get there. So this is like, <sighs> ground yourself into your feet. Be there and remind yourself, like, have a calm body, have a calm voice, and have a calm face. So instead of, uh, I hear parents say all the time, I didn't yell at my kid to come and eat dinner. I just said, turn off your game right now and let's eat. It's getting cold. So we get the edginess to our voice. And there's this other really important part of uh, brain science, which I'm just going to geek out on for one more moment because you were asking about it, which is mirror neurons. So if your kid has fire in the brain and you're matching them with edginess and irritation and you're like geared up anticipating a fight, their mirror neurons are going to reflect the state you're in. So they're going to have adrenaline and cortisol just from witnessing it in the environment around them. And so Dr. Daniel Siegel says the brain becomes what it is most exposed to. Mm -hmm. So if you're like just barely holding yourself together and you're clomping around the house and you're not yelling, but you are feeling edgy and irritated and unhappy, you might have a moody child who's clinging and whining and complaining about things. And this isn't a judgment on parents. Like, Mm-mm. you know, it, with parenting, we can we can go into the shame spiral really quickly. Um, and I'm speaking of these moments not because I have a camera in other people's houses. It's because I have a camera in my own house. <laughs> I've been doing this work for 19 years. So what you want to understand with mirror neurons is that if you want to influence your child to feeling happy so that you can enjoy the experience of parenting – are you modeling relaxed body language? Maybe not in the moment of fire. Like, I mean, yes, I want you to get there in those moments. But like my client who was a marathoner, and he's like, my six-year-old is always just like, dad, I want to do something. Dad, entertain me when he's working out on his treadmill prepping for a marathon for two and a half hours. He's like, I have to like constantly get off and get her art supplies and turn the show and do this <laughs> and interact with her. And I said, hang on a sec, Rob. How do you model relaxation at home? And he goes, oh, I don't think she's ever seen me relax. So, so, so mirror neurons work two ways. Like number one, our, we're like a mirror to our kids and, and they see us and they're going to reflect the state that we're in. And then to offer us parents grace, if we're like, oh my gosh, my child is edgy and irritable all the time. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Like, I think my kid was irritable before I was irritable. I had pretty good self-care. So mirror neurons are going to, uh, your kid's going to impact your mirror neurons too. 
Mm -hmm. So if you don't have things like a rhythm for your day so that you can navigate it smoothly without meltdown so so that your kids know what to expect. If your kids slow to warm up in the morning and you don't have bonding time before you ask them to do things like eat and brush their teeth and get ready for the day, if you don't meet some of those psychological needs of children, they're going to be grumpy and irritable and reflect that back to you. So you're going to be geared up and like my shoulders always crunch up on my neck and my neck gets really tense. Um, Your fight or flight system is going to get activated too. So if you're a parent who tends to um, be comfortable with conflict and you're like, don't talk back to me. If, if your child is reflecting state because you're not sure how to help them feel content and comfortable in their own skin or the daily life of, of you know, just childhood, then the fire in your brain will be triggered. And so you're either going to fight them back and then that's going to keep escalating and building mm-hmm. up with each other. You're going to go into, what's the other one? Fight, flight. You're going to go into flea mode. Like, I just got to get out of here. And you go hide in the bathroom and lock the door for a little bit, which, you know, there's moments we need that. <laughs> or there's freeze mode, which looks like me probably at the breakfast table where I'm just like, I'm just done talking. I yeah. I, I just, I can't, I can't keep responding to this. Mm-hmm. So back to your original point and question that you were um, bringing up. When it comes to creating a happy family, when you know what are the things that calm children's fire, how do you take care of yourself? What are the things that are fire starters? So things like walking around edgy yourself is going to trigger their mirror neurons. If you're mm-hmm. overworked, if you're living in the world of so that, um, if you don't have relaxation in your everyday life, it's just going to be a big old mirror. The family dynamic is a big old mirror of that. So I was this weekend, we were traveling and I was looking around and like traveling with kids, as we all know, is one, it's a privilege. Like I'm so grateful to be able to go anywhere with my family, God bless. And it is very challenging. It's like, (laughs) so tough. One of the toughest things that I can do. I was looking around the airport and there were so many moms and dads too. I, I noticed moms more specifically that just looked so stressed. Like you could just see it in their body, their faces you know, holding their kid's hand, walking through the airport, making sure no one's not going to snatch them. It's just like so chaotic. And it helped me to remember, I have to like loosen up. I'm going to put a smile on my face and I'm going, I might not be feeling it exactly in this moment, but like they're feeling this too. And like relax. It was such a moment of like, oh man, I don't even realize where I'm holding this tension. And that's why I like talking about these things on this show, about our practices that we things that we can do to nourish ourselves. Because like you said, our kids notice that. You know, that's why we go to yoga so that when they have a temper tantrum at Target, we can use our tools, take a breath, and and hold space for them and be there. But I think something that I really appreciated from our time working together is that like, this has been a a pretty slow process. It's not like you told me one day, Hey, Ashley, you need to stay calm. And I was calm. (laughs) It was like, it's taken a lot of time and a lot of practice and we still mess it up all the time. What are some things that like, you know, just some really, really simple tools that parents can do to tap into that calm? Like we've talked a little bit about breath. We've talked a little bit about, um, I mean, all like the tools that you've given are so simple, yet they help so much. Do you mind sharing just one or two of those? Yeah. What helps us calm? Uh, I think about attending a parent-toddler preschool class and in the parenting circle at the end of this class, she was um, 
guiding us to take four breaths. And I still do that in my parenting practice where I'm like, it's not just like one breath. It's like, can I take four breaths? And I share a mantra with you and all the families I work with um, that I, I know I already mentioned, but I'll say it again. It's when I'm taking my four breaths, I'm remembering and doing a quick body scan because I don't have time to do a whole yoga nidra and relax every muscle in my body. It's like <laughs> calm body, calm voice, and calm face. The other thing that can help us feel calm is uh, to tune into what am I afraid of? You know, like I know we've talked about that quite a bit. Like, okay, so if you're if you feel like you're parenting in a way that's edgy or not as present or uh, for other people who might like grab their kid's hand too hard or, or whatever it is that parents share with me, it's like, so what are you thinking in that moment? What are you afraid of? And, um, you know, I think about when I want to get my kiddo to eat, what am I afraid of? Well, I'm afraid of when he was two weeks old and he dropped in weight from the 86th percentile to the 10th percentile from the day he was born until two weeks later because of milk extraction challenges and food sensitivities mm -hmm. to my mm -hmm. milk and donor milk. Like, oh, so when I want him to sit at the table, I'm like, why are you running around? You got to eat more food. It's like, oh, I'm scared. I'm yeah. scared of that. I'm scared that you're not going to gain weight and that you're not going to, that you're not going to thrive. Is that relevant right now? No. Do I have to keep working on that? Yeah. I have a, an appointment with my homeopath, you know, next month <laughs> to keep talking about these things that I'm afraid of. The other thing for self-care is, or like what can help us show up in a way where we're doing well by our child is we got to know what it feels like to overcorrect children so, so that you as an adult know what it feels like for your child. So can I take us through a little experiment? Please, yes. <laughs> okay. I don't know that we've done this. So it's called the no exercise. So everybody who's listening, I'm going to say a variation on the word no for like 30 seconds. If your kid's in the room, you know, it's not going to be too jolt. Well, it might be a little alarming. So turn your volume down. I'm not going to yell at you. Um, if you're able to close your eyes and you feel safe doing that, then please do. And just notice what happens in your body when you're listening to my voice. No. Stop it. Knock it off. Ugh, don't do that. No. Every day I said no. Open your eyes. So when we start phrases with no, it triggers fire in the brain. So sometimes what we can do with self-care is we can realize like, oh, am I shooting myself in the foot by the way that I'm parenting? Am I starting fires in my child's brain, which makes me have to do more self-care and more breathing because my child's now reacting to me? And there are four, oh, so before I say what the four reactions to this are and ask you, Ashley, the process is learning like, how do I create a yes space? How do I say, um, you want that cookie? Oh, you do want that cookie. You're so excited about that. And that's coming later. Or I say a lot in my family, like, oh, these are just for grownups. But if you're saying no a lot, there's more fire in your child's brain, which means you got to do a lot of work to keep your sanity because your child's reacting to that. So four common responses, Ashley, what did you uh, just share honestly what you noticed in your body when you heard? I like, there's like a nervous feeling, like I did something wrong, like a mm -hmm. anxiety mm -hmm. almost. Some anxiety. Okay. 
Um, did you, when you were growing up, did you tend to have more of a pleaser personality? Oh, first child, absolute. It's pleasing oh. everybody. <laughs> okay, good. I just know to ask that. It was my guess, but I, I asked sometimes. Okay, <laughs> so um, that's one of the common responses for people who tend to have a pleaser personality or temperament just by your own wiring growing up. So one of the responses to hearing no a lot or having high tension in the household, I call it the wilting response where you're just like, oh, what did mm. I do wrong? And you like start protecting your heart. Your shoulders might curl in a little bit. There can be feelings of anxiety. Uh, so that would be one response. Another response is the, we think of this really classically, the person who feels angry at their kid. And, and you can have a combination of these. So you put on your boxing gloves and you're like, oh yeah, don't tell me what to do. So sometimes when kids hear no, if they're wired that way, and you know that my specialty is the spirited to emotionally intense child, and they may even have a special needs diagnosis of autism or sensory processing disorder, ADHD, or even giftedness, um, these, all these kids tend to have high emotionality, which is my specialty. And so if we trigger that fight response, um, it also has this retaliation effect where they're like, I might listen now, but I'm going to get back at you later, like mm -hmm. score. So that's the second um, reaction that can happen if we're parenting from a space of no. A third uh, potential is that uh, kids will tune you out and they're just like, whatever, not listening. So if parents tell me, my kids ignore me, they don't listen, I have to yell, I have to say it 10 times, there's a few things I explore. Um, like how well are you following through when you give them instruction? Have they learned to tune you out because you just like walk away because you're busy doing other things and multitasking? Right. Or they're used to hearing no a lot, so they just tune you out. And we think of this often with teenagers. Oh, the teenager's just saying whatever and not paying attention to me. But I remember when my twin nephews, who are now 12 or three years old, and we'd say, Henry, Asa, come and eat supper. And Henry would come running, and I'd go to Asa, and I'd be like, Asa, come on, time to eat. Your brother's in the kitchen. And he'd just be like coloring, not showing that it registered at all that I had said anything to him or invited him into the kitchen. So if, if kids are hearing no a lot, they might just tune you out. And then the fourth reaction is less about personality and more about your body and physiology is that you can feel a sense of tension. So you were talking about that nervousness feeling. Same thing with kids. If they hear no all the time, they might have butterflies in their tummy mm -hmm. or they might like tense up their shoulders and their neck like I tend to do and have headaches. And in the morning before school, if they have a teacher who's not very warm or overcorrecting and directing them. Um, you might take your kid to the doctor and to the chiropractor and you're like, I don't know, it seems like they're fine. We really want to consider, are they hearing no all day long? Because if they are, then we want to help create a warm yes space for them. Yes space doesn't just mean give them the cooking, the screens. It means how do you shift your language to more positive language of what they can do um, and reduce your nose by like 70%. Mm -hmm. Yes. I see. I can literally see the wilting in, in my first because she's that people pleaser. And it's, yeah. I, but you're not saying, it's not like we're saying, you know, oh, of course you could do everything. Like they always want me to have a yes day where I say yes to everything. Like, sorry guys, that's not going to be safe. We're not going to do that. But it's, it's, it's almost like no for now, right? We can say, yes, we could definitely have that snack later. We'll have it after dinner. Like I love that, that simple shift of language. And really that's so much of what I learned from you is language, right? It's like what I'm, I'm telling them 
how I'm delivering that information in a way that that really helps support them and helps them feel good. The two, these are just, I mean, you've dropped so many amazing tips already. The, you know, staying calm, avoiding those no's. Are there, maybe you can mention just one other thing that we as parents are doing that are contributing to that more difficult behavior, that it's making it less fun. And in your program, I know there's like a good list of these and I've learned so many. If there's one that bubbles up to the top, what would you say that is? Yeah. You know, I've talked about play for for yeah. a bit already on this episode. So I want to talk about that. You know what I think makes um, parenting not fun? It's putting too much pressure on yourself and saying mm-hmm. like, oh, it's important to spend 15 minutes of quality time a day with my kid. That part's true. I'm not taking that one away. But um, uh, there was a study I read that said most parents actually only spend two and a half minutes of quality time being present with their kids a day. This includes mm-hmm. parents who are with their kids at home all day long. So that doesn't mean you're not really like aware of what they're doing and trying to guide them into activities, but actual special time in play where you focus, and it could be five or 10 or 15 minutes, but you want to get up to about 15 minutes a day if you can. If you're not spending that time in play using some certain play techniques, which I'll share in a second, um, it can mean that your child will be whiny and clingy because their 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 happy bucket isn't filled. So I call this happy chemicals in my mad to glad blueprint. So one of the aspects of play that when I was working with kids with autism 10 hours a day, I was like, I got to figure out how to make this fun because like coming up with themes and, you know, for whatever, 25 kids a week is really exhausting. And so I started researching play therapy and learned that you don't have to entertain kids. What helps them feel seen and important is a few things. Number one is you join them. So if a child is laying on their tummy on the floor playing with playing with blocks, if you can just lay on the floor next to them and join them in play and mirror or model their body language, on an unconscious level, they hear, I'm important to you. Mm. So you join them in play. You follow their lead. So you can follow the pace that they're following. So if they're slowly stacking blocks, you can do that. If they're standing up and they're acting like Godzilla, knocking them down, which my two-and-a-half-year-old little boy loves to do this. So like... You know, there are times where I choose to join and play because I have more energy and I know I'm going to be acting like Godzilla and we're knocking everything down repetitively. Um, So you want to be able to join them to follow their lead. You also want to slow down. So if we think about Mr. Rogers, uh, I like to geek out, like I said, on some of the science, but uh, make it really friendly. So Mr. Rogers trained himself to speak at 124 words per minute. So as you and I have been talking on this podcast, like a a regular mainstream news reporter um, is trained to speak around 170 words per minute because that's the ideal auditory processing rate for like the general adult population. Hmm. But for children, it's 124 words per minute. Um, So if you think about how slowly he puts on his cardigan sleeve and welcomes you (laughs) to the neighborhood and puts his uh, ankle over his knee and ties his shoe, that is slow, slow. So with children, when we can slow down, when we don't have to like entertain them and quick, toss the ball back to you and, um, you know, like in every moment, make it really exciting. If you can slow down to the ideal processing rate for a neurotypical child. So I had done this research many years ago. 
that fills a child's psychological bucket. It elicits things like serotonin and oxytocin and dopamine, which are about bonding and happiness. And so this would be another strategy to make your life easier. You don't have to entertain them. You can just like follow them driving the car down the, the, the countertop. Or if you don't like playing pretend with certain toys, then join them in a gross motor activity. Uh, wrestling or playing outside. If you don't like that, then join them in an activity that you like. So do you like crafts and do you like <laughs> fine motor and do you like felting? All of that elicits more happy chemicals and combats the stress chemicals of the the fire in the brain. Yes. Yes. Because I told you, I think in one of our first sessions, I'm like, I do not like playing. I'm, I'm a 36-year-old adult. I just like I, I don't even know how to play anymore. Like that's something I could probably work on. So you said, find something that you actually like doing with them. And I learned that I love doing Legos with them. And it's been so much fun to be like, Hey, it's our Lego time. And we're getting together for a few minutes. It just, and like you said, it doesn't have to be long. It's not really spending our whole night doing Legos, but just a few minutes of that connection of uninterrupted, no phones, not doing another, like the multitasking, that tendency to want to keep multitasking while playing has been tough to overcome. But like you said, we're here, we're present, we're slowing down. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear that. And like, you want to be aware that it can feel really boring at first, even if you're joining totally that you like. So I really like when my kid pulls out the little pots and pans or in the kitchen or his playset and does that, like, that's really fun for me because I like cooking, but I find myself very frequently setting a 10 minute timer on my phone or on the on the stovetop because I will like, oh, well, let me get up and have some tea if I'm sitting here. Like, oh my gosh, yes. Slowing down <laughs> is so boring and I want to like make it more fun or make it enjoyable because I haven't, I don't slow down for myself very often throughout, you know, the, the major part of the day. Yeah. So setting that timer and holding yourself accountable and training that habit, like you might enjoy joining them, but it might also feel really boring. And that boring tells you you're living in a child's world rather than the adult agenda, and they need that. Last, well, maybe second to last question. I want to just touch on something that that I have a lot of fear around. You know, you're asking, like, what are you afraid of? And I have a lot of fear around this the struggle with mental health that young adults, teenagers are experiencing. I'm, I'm really hoping to support my kids so that we aren't experiencing that like a lot of other people are because it's so real. What are some things that parents can do today with young children and even, you know, elementary, middle school age children to help support them as they approach those ages where this is a reality, where mental health struggles are so real? How can we support them now? Yeah, such a good question. So if we want to help our children feel mentally well and balanced, one of the, like a core need from Maslow's hierarchy of needs is social belonging. So if they can feel a sense of belonging with you in your home and it's not contentious and they have fun playing with parents and there's a good bond and it's enjoyable to sit down and have meals together or travel together or play outside and they're not just doing things alone and isolated. Like I've got some parents have so much to do. So like kids, you go play. I'm going to do dishes. You go play. It's like, nope. like find out when you can play with them because then they feel part of um, the family. They feel a Mm -hmm. sense of belonging and that already like that sense of connectedness is really supportive of our own mental health and well-being. Um, 
And sometimes when kids have trends towards mental illness, and you're right, I studied this a lot with my through my husband's continuing education in neurological chiropractic, is, you know, mental illness, sometimes we think, well, it's something that happens in, inside and you're destined to experience that. And there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of depression and anxiety in my family. And um, the way that I operate and my level of happiness looks vastly different than at least one of my other siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love them and I, I want to be really kind to them. And um, I consider like I've been getting regular chiropractic care for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. Like, how can I be a keynote speaker when I used to black out in high school from social anxiety? Because something, what my husband has helped me to learn, happens during the birth process where if you're a little bit kinked over to the side or tipped over to the side, um, there's nerves in your upper spine that sends relaxation signals and chemicals throughout your whole body. And so if it's a little bit kinked, um, and my, hu- my son's when he was born was a lot kinked. And so he cried <laughs> for the first four months of my life, his life. And it was, he was 10 months old um, before I finally remember saying to my, my friends, like, I like parenting. Took 10 mm. months. There was so much crying. There was so much stress in his system. And I just wonder what would have happened if my husband and our care team hadn't helped to correct that, hadn't helped to reset his nervous system yes, so that yeah. he wasn't like a walking diagnosis of stress and colic and food sensitivity. So again, very, very fortunate for us and very privileged with the work that both of us do. Other ways families can receive this kind of care for their children is like the craniosacral mm-hmm. or if their kid has sensory processing disorder. I'm speaking at the Minnesota Association for Children's Mental Health this this month in April. And um, sometimes sensory processing disorder looks like mental illness because a child is is anxious. They're anxious about the sounds and the lights and the tag and the seam of their sock. It's like, what else does your child need in order to feel comfortable in their skin? So sometimes there's these body modalities, sensory-based occupational therapy that are needed. Um, Certainly food. Certainly screen time. Screen time is not real connection and parents start feeling really mm-hmm. worried. Yeah. But if my kid doesn't have this, they're gonna they're not gonna be able to do this game that everybody plays with their headphones on in their own rooms and they're not gonna be socially connected. Well, guess what? That doesn't help with social belonging. I mean, that doesn't mm-hmm. help your your physical body feel like you're part of this group. In a moment, in the moment it may, but are they also getting together outside of screen time? Are they also doing computer programming together in the same room? And are they building robots? Are they doing something that's within their interests? Are they um, doing constructive activities, building model airplanes? Like if these are some of the interests your kiddo has, are they doing that with actual human beings, not just over the screen? Mm -hmm. And then finally, so I've talked about like the parenting side. Is it a, is it a happy connected bond? Do you play together? Is it, not just in a way where it's fun for the parent. I have a dad I just finished working with and he's like, I'm so ADHD and I'm so energetic. And I get home from work and I'm like, kids, let's go to the park. Kids, let's go to the amusement park. Kids, let's go here. Kids, let's go here. I'm like, well, hang on. That meets your need because you don't like to be bored, but kids have a need to slow down, Mm -hmm. have downtime. If you've ever overscheduled your child, you know from their behavior, like, oh, they're not happy in life right now. Do they like dance? Yeah. Do they like gymnastics? Yeah. Do they like seeing their friends? Yeah. Do they like music class? Yeah. Do they? But you put all of that together and it's too much. It's so too much. Are we creating a space where kids have downtime and breathing room and slow connection time. And then finally, as kids get older, you start it young, but when they get older, 
what I've learned from my life coaching um, training and background is, are they tuned into a sense of purpose? Hmm. A parent of a 16-year-old right now might be like, oh my gosh, how do you even get your kid to a sense of person or purpose where so far gone, like they're withdrawing into their room, all they do is screens. It's like, well, maybe you look at a, a screen break for three weeks, a screen-free time to help their brain reset. Maybe you work with a functional medicine or practitioner or naturopath on diet to help their, you know, maybe you consider chiropractic if they don't want to do anything with you um, because they're moody and grumpy and that bond isn't there. So from the life coaching perspective and the sense of purpose, it's like, uh, what do they like about their on-screen avatar? Okay. What do you like about your, your human being going to school personality and characteristics? Okay. So how do we bridge that gap or take components of that so that you have a sense of purpose, you're giving back, you're connecting with real human beings. Like that's, I guess it keeps coming back to belonging, belonging mm-hmm. and you know, mm-hmm. social belonging and the nervous system. Yeah. So many parallels to just, again, like the self-care that we talk about regularly on the show, like the yoga practice, like all these things that we do for ourselves or we hopefully we strive to do for ourselves that kids really need to, right? That nervous system regulation. And they just haven't learned it yet, right? We're here to teach them. You here, you are here to teach us how we can do that because it is so much easier said than done. It's This is tough work. And hopefully the people that listen to this show are open to maybe some out-of-the-box ideas like we're talking. I mean, this is not just your straightaway, like discipline, authoritarian way of approaching things. This is a little bit different. And I mean, I've seen a lot of success, so I'm really, I'm really grateful for the things that you, you teach. It's so helpful. Yeah, you're welcome. And I'm really glad to be a guide on your journey because there's three children and you and your husband who, you know, you get to be that model and that example of walking around in happiness in the world. And I remember, I'm, I'm thinking back to what you said earlier at, during our episode here, um, the people who are like, you know, why would I go into parenting? Like, it doesn't look very fun. I don't know parents who are happy. And I think about, well, first of all, like you're modeling that. So thank you. You're getting some resources and support <laughs> you can feel that way. And it's wonderful for your children's future as well. And I remember when I was pregnant making a list. So because I speak a lot, I also have that big like 3M sticky white paper on the wall in my bedroom if I'm trying to like remember stories or opening lines or things like that. Yeah. And I remember taking a big piece of that sticky paper and putting it on my wall and writing down like who loves parenting? Deirdre, Anka and Ryan, Kathy and Josh. And I was like, oh my gosh. I had to write people's names down and orient my attention to those people and the energy that they were embodying. And I made sure I looked for who's happy. And I Mm. had to look beyond. And I found a couple of friends, which makes sense that I resonate with them as friends. I love how they're raising their children. And there are some people who are close. They're family members and they're friends. And I'm like, they don't go on the list. So when I look at parenting and they're like, watch out. It's going to ruin your life. I'm like, you're not even on my list. That's what Mm -hmm. I think inside. Mm -hmm. So you can say what I want, but I am protected. Just like when I was going, when I was pregnant and considering what birth was going to be like for, for me and my child, I was like, those scary stories that happened to you during birth, that might be true. Please don't tell me. Tell me after yep. my kid's born. Yep. I don't want, like, I'm going to protect this. And so I think that brings us into happiness too, like orient to 
orient to the people who you're like, this is possible. And it can become. Yes. Yeah. In the manifestation work that I do, we call these expanders, people that show you what's possible and having, when you're doing like actual visualization work, you think about those people because they show us and the internet and the Instagram of it all. I love a good, like honest share about parenting. Like, please give me a scary mama vibe. Like that's funny and it's real. And it makes, it brings us all onto the same page. And I want to see the happy stories too, because for me, that's the majority of, of the parenting is like, it's actually really fun. And I'm so glad that I chose to do this. So I'm actually going to do an episode on coming up on this earlier. I almost wish I would have done it earlier, like younger and more kids. And just like, this is so much fun from someone who literally did not want. And I don't really like kids. I've said this before. Like, I don't like kids. I like my kids. (laughs) I just like don't know what to do with them. But like parenting, love it. My God, it's so much. It's so fun. See, I'm different. I've always liked kids. And some of that might be... Um, having four siblings when I grew up and my mom had five daycare kids and we grew up in the suburbs. Oh my gosh. She would always tell us like every child has gifts. It's up to you to draw them out. So when I became a parent, um, I, I was surprised in the other direction. So like, this is so fun. Like the newborn and baby phase was so hard for my fam, for me and my kiddo that I was like, what happened? Who am I? I feel totally shattered but I kept orienting. I kept looking for those expanders like, wait, this could just be a phase. And I've seen parents who don't do great when they're raising babies and others who are like, I love baby phase. Totally. And yes. And that changes in preschool. Or mm-hmm, you do mm-hmm. also see the parents who are like, I've loved every phase of my kid's life. And I'm hoping that it was just the newborn phase with some birth trauma that we've worked through is, is hopefully the only time that <laughs> I've had experience of this is really hard and not enjoyable for me. Um, but remembering that you know, what was the impact of your parents on you? So everybody gets to consider, like, what was the impact of my parents on me? It's powerful. Mm-hmm. And the thing that, you know, some of the stress of my authoritarian pa- father, who, you know, some of that childhood contributed to the anxiety that I had in my nervous system. Um, he's also a very high achiever and a master negotiator. And so when people say no to me, uh, there's a, there's an agency I'm partnering with. And when they're like, sorry, this isn't going to work. I'm like, really? Can we just have another conversation? And the conversation's still going. I'm like, oh, that's Tom Sawyer. That's my maiden name is Sawyer. And my dad's name is Tom. So I'm like, oh, that's Tom Sawyer. When I'm like, this conversation's not over. Like, if you want to change these kids' lives, can we have another conversation? Because we can probably figure out how to work this out here. And so my mom's influence gave me this sense of, I just love hanging out. I know what unconditional love feels like and this, this belief, like every child has gifts. It's up to you to draw them out. And the gift that you as a mom or a caregiver are giving to your child by paying attention to their psychological needs and learning how to draw out their gifts to say, forget the world of so that I'm not going to push all my ambitions to the side. Like there, you know, there's a balance between your ambitions and meeting your child's needs as well. And When you give them the gift of recognizing them and seeing beneath the acting out behaviors and meeting that need with some new parenting strategies, now your kid gets to bring those gifts to the world and you figure it out. And now you get to tell their teacher and that teacher gets to help the other three kids in the room who are spirited or intense. And like you get to tell the the therapist or the specialist or the pediatrician who passes it along. Like I just get like all red eyed (laughs) thinking about this. Like parenting is such a, beautiful sense of purpose 
And so you get to evolve and draw your own gifts of unconditional love and the things that are really important for you to provide to your kid. And then they get to share their gifts. And that is, I started by saying like, I was around kids a lot. I really liked them. I still go to friends parties and play with the whoever three-year-old on the floor that I've never met before. And my friend was like, you've always done this. You've always like gotten on the floor with a three-year-old <laughs> while the adults are sitting on the couch <laughs> talking over coffee. I'm just like, no one's paying attention to this kid. Like, She's pulling beads out of this bag. They're really pretty and cool. I want to hear what she has to say. And it's even better than that. It's like you see your kids' gifts and their spiciness and have those moments of play and bonding and the experience to slow down. Like he takes a nap every day. Guess what I do? I actually, on the days that I'm home, I take a nap and I I do something enjoyable. Like that's when I read my book. So your Mm -hmm. kids have so much to teach you and give you purpose. And like like the gift cycle, just upward spiral. Oh, mic drop. That was great. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so true. It's it's just really refreshing to hear people talk about it in a way that is encouraging because it's we need this. We need these conversations and we need to be strategic, right? Like we can do this work with some planning. Yeah. So if someone is interested in connecting with you, working with you, I know you've got your your next group coaching coming up, which I'm so excited to be a part of this May. Can you just talk a little bit about that and how they might connect with you? Yeah. Yeah. So I have two program offerings. One is the DIY version of Mad to Glad Blueprint. So if you want to learn the eight tools that I'm talking about to calm fire in the brain and build positive connection and get your kid into better self-regulation and problem-solving skills on their own, um, the Mad to Glad Blueprint is a DIY program you can purchase through my website, samanthamo.com. And then the group program, we just call it Mad to Glad Blueprint Plus, which means like, hey, I'm going to have you access the module before um, one module a week. And then we're going to have a live, live group coaching sessions. So we're going to do those once a week for the period of eight weeks. So you have accountability for going through it. And there's live customized coaching at each session. You don't need me to spend my time educating you on a live session when that's already pre-recorded, and it's done very well and it's done very concisely so that you know how to follow uh, the strategies that I've given in the modules if you can't attend the, the live group coaching class. But I customize it and answer questions and put people into small groups so that you don't have to think through like, okay, so what would self-care look like for me? What do my triggers look like? We actually do that on the live call so that you create your own action plan and can ask me questions like, but how do you play when I have three kids and two of them are fighting and it's dinner time and one of them is coming in and tattling on me? That's what we do during Magic Lad Blueprint Plus uh, on those live calls. So I teach a cohort in the spring and the fall. This year it is in May. So if you're interested in it, you can go to my website and I offer a live gathering. It's called um, How to Make It Better. And so the the monthly call or that live gathering, whenever you listen to this, um, gives you an opportunity to fill out my intense brain child family assessment and see what skills you have, where you're thriving, where you might need to grow. You come to that live gathering. It's totally free. Your ticket for entry is having completed that form online ahead of time. Then we, we send you the Zoom link and you can ask your questions. If we feel like we're a match, then I'll give you program details for joining those eight live calls. Um, or if it seems like you need another resource, I'm just really clear about pointing people in, in the direction that will serve their family most. Awesome. And if anyone has any questions and wants personal testimonial, please DM me. I'm so happy to share info. We'll have all of this linked up in the show notes if anyone wants to take advantage and a little special offer for Yoga Magic friends, listeners, because 
friends, like I, I, the people that I bring on this show, I truly, truly either have worked with personally and believe in their work, or I think that it's a resource that other people could use. And like, this is something that I've done personally that has really impacted my life. And so, yeah, thank you for doing all this hard work and, and changing people's lives, really. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So Ashley, what about if you'll share for people, because I just intuitively got a hit, somebody's wondering, like, and so how does this work with your partner? Like, how does this work with your husband? How What has changed in terms of your co-parenting status or the way that you communicate about your kids or raise your kids? Oh, there's so many. We could do a whole other episode on this. <laughs> That's so good. You know, one of the things that we we came to you in advance about was just like the differences in our children, specifically our two oldest, because our baby's not, we haven't figured her out just yet. And they're so different and parenting them is different, right? And we want to support them both in unique ways. And we learned a lot about how to do that individually. And one of the things that we've talked a lot about that has helped specifically my partner and I is this idea of rhythm. And what a rhythm feels like for our family. And when we have rest time and when we have connection time and when I'm at home with them on, on you know, certain days of the week where it's just me and the kiddos at home all day, like what does that rhythm look like versus what's it like when we're together as a family? And like having that conversation, even going into a vacation, like what does rhythm look like when we're away has been something that like we were sort of doing, but putting some structure to it has made a dramatic impact. My kids don't fight me at bedtime. They aren't um, kind of that like, you know, low grade, crabby, annoyed, like angsty teen vibe anymore. They don't have that because they know what to expect. They know what's coming up. They know what's playtime and what's snack time and what's rest time and what's TV time, you know? And because we have a newborn, it's been necessary because I need some of those moments of downtime and I don't feel frazzled about it anymore. Um, so hopefully, maybe we can give that sound bite as like a testimonial to everybody, but like truly that rhythm has set, uh, just set us free to be able to enjoy every day. Beautiful. I love it. And the both of you showing up and getting on the same page and co-parenting, like having that Absolutely. vision purpose together is so strengthening for your whole family's dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for your time, Samantha. And again, listeners connect with her. So many great resources. Um, I really highly recommend her work. And I thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thanks to Samantha for all of her wisdom. You can learn more about Samantha Mo and her programs in the show notes. And again, if you want to be part of the live parenting cohort this spring, I'll be there too. Then grab that link in the show notes and you'll find out more about when it's starting in May. Thanks to everyone for being here. I will see you next week's episode.